great future. We're talking real money. Wow. Somebody opened the question floodgates. We have a lot of questions to get through, a ton of questions to get through. We really need to do some additional podcast episodes that are just Q&A. So I better get to it because there's a lot of them. And uh, thank you for all those. These were all sent into TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. By the way, I'm Don McDonald, and this is the Talking Real Money podcast, the Friday edition, which is traditionally questions and answers, and it will definitely be that today. So let's just get started. Without further ado, on to the questions we go. Here's the first one. Hey, guys. Love the show. Been listening for about two years now. Um, been working on trying to get my portfolio out of hodgepodgeitis, which I had a pretty bad case of, but I think I'm, uh, following the lines that you guys put down and want to get you guys' take a little bit of background. My wife and I are in our early thirties, have about $800,000 in an all hundred percent equity portfolio. Don't need the money until retirement at this point in time. Uh, so really looking to put the money into the market and let it run for the long term. Um, so that's the background there, and this is what I have in my portfolio at this point. I got 46% in VTI, 19% AVUV, 25% VEA, and 10% VWO. Would uh, appreciate if you guys could provide any feedback, if I'm missing anything, if I need to diversify a little bit more, but I, I think this is more or less in line with what you guys uh, suggest. So would uh, really appreciate your feedback. Thanks, guys. Well, you can just stop listening to the podcast now. You, you've you done it. See, <laughs> you're, you're a perfect example. You're the perfect example of us putting ourselves out of business. If everybody would just do what you did, we'd be done. We'd be out of here. We'd be history. I mean, could I quibble a little? Maybe, but no, I don't even think I'm going to quibble a little. I was going to say maybe you could add a real estate, a REIT fund, a REIT index, but no, no, you've got REIT in, the, in these other things. You've got, uh, you've got 46% of the total portfolio in U.S. larger cap through VTI. Then you get some small value with AVUV, nicely done, which puts you at about 64% U or so was it 60? Yeah. 64%, 65% U.S., 65 uh, which is fine. And then the rest is overseas. If anything, you're a little bit light overseas, just a little. You probably want to, when you rebalance, add some more to VEA, which is the developed markets index. And you've got emerging markets. So I think you have the bases just wonderfully covered. And the fact that you have been able to invest that much in your 30s means <laughs> your 60s are going to be something special. So I just want to congratulate you and uh, and uh, thank you for being very rare because otherwise Tom and I would just be looking for something to do in our old age. So thanks for listening. And now we better get to another one. Hey, guys. Love the show. I have a question about diversification. I know you guys say many companies is better. So i um, been trying to add lots of stuff in there. I'm currently doing the... Merriman Four Fund U.S. portfolio and their uh, recommended ETFs. I had a question because I was confused when I saw that RPV 
that they recommend only has like 83 holdings in it. And it doesn't sound like enough for them to want to recommend it. What do you say about that? Well, now, first, I, I personally, I'm speaking for me, uh, don't always 100% agree with the ETF choices that uh, Paul and his gang make. Although, I think they're fine. And I don't even think that RPV is that big a deal. RPV, for those of you playing along at home, is a uh, S&P 500 value stock index. So it takes out the value stocks. What that tells you, is because this is the value index of the S&P, what that tells you is that there are very few value stocks in the S&P 500. There's actually a really good object lesson in there. If you own the S&P 500, you are overweighted to growth. Whereas academia tells us we should be overweighted to value. Now, what I would do is have a much higher portion of the portfolio in the much better diversified VTI, as he suggests. And then um, I can't, can't remember what his small value was. Hold on. His small value is SLYV. And uh, I hope I, I want to add something to this before I tell you about SLYV. Um, I hope you're not just investing in this and that you also have an international portfolio because I think it is foolish to, uh, to just invest in the U.S. In fact, I know it's foolish. It has proven to be so over and over and over again over extended periods of time. Sure, there are always short periods where the U.S. outperforms, but there are periods when internationals outperform. You have to remember that. And uh, the uh, SLYV is the Spider S&P 600 small cap value. And it's funny, that has more stocks in it than does the RPV um, for, because it really is a uh, it's a it's part of a small cap and small caps lean more value. So I would have that. I would probably if I was doing this, I'd be doing it with just the uh, the the VTI, which is the U.S., and then just the SLYV, just doing two funds. But the four are fine. They really they really are. Uh, but you should have some international. Thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. Remember, you can send your questions in. You can either type them in or call them in. We prefer them called in to uh, TalkingRealMoney.com or at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. Or you can call them in at 855-935-TALK. And remember, on Saturdays, every Saturday for two hours, two whole hours, if you want to talk with us one-on-one, -on -one, that's the time to do it. We can actually have a conversation between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Saturday, noon to 2 Pacific Time. So try that out. Let's get another question in. Hello, big fan of the show, first-time caller. My question is, I'm currently saving money uh, mainly to buy a home in the next, we'll say, about three years. I have 120000 in a high-yield savings account. It earns about 3.8% right now. I'm 31 years old, and I currently am maxing out my 401k at work and have about 60000 sitting in that. And any excess money, I basically am just putting in this account um, to keep growing my savings. 
And the only debt I have is student loan debt. I have about a hundred thousand. Half of that is federal, which is currently in the forbearance. The other half is private. So about 50,000 in private loan. And that's at a rate of about 3.6%. And I'm currently just paying the minimum on that every month. So I'm wondering, should I keep doing what I'm doing? Basically, just when I have excess money, I'm saving it up. Or should I do something else with this money in the next for the next few years? Or should I take this money and attack my loans more? And one of the reasons I'm wondering about the loans is, especially with the private loan, the rate's only 3.6%. So even right now with a rising rate environment and where, they, where they're sitting, I'm getting a higher rate on my savings account than the loan. So I'm wondering, would it even make sense to put more money towards that? Um, so that's kind of the situation I'm in now. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Well, you're a good saver. I'm impressed with that. Uh, and you've got some money in the 401k. You're maxing that out. I hope you're investing that properly because what is the purpose of the 120000 What is that earmarked for? And the twenty, the 120000 that is continuing to grow as you add savings to it. What is it doing? Why do you have it? Is it to buy a house, a really expensive car, emergency money? You've got to answer that question. But if that money is earmarked for the long haul, and by the long haul, I mean 30 years from now, or at least some of it is, then you need to start putting some of that money in a Roth IRA uh, a regular IRA, if you need the tax deduction, if you make too much money to do either, then in a just a plain old taxable account in some growth-oriented ETFs, do not be afraid of the market. It is your friend in the long haul. It is not friendly at times. That's the reason why the rewards can be great. But remember, going back almost 100 years, we've got, we have almost 100 years of solid data that shows the average return for equities is about two and a half times what you're getting on your high yield savings. So, uh, and, and the, you're right on the student loans, if the rates are low and you can make more money than that, then you're paying out, pay them as slowly as possible. If, if you're making more money, but you could be long-term making substantially more money. So you need to really consider investing at least a portion of that money, unless you have an, a, a near, near-term or immediate need for a whole lot of liquidity. If you're just doing it because it's safe, then I think you're making a mistake and hurting your future because the more you can invest in equities today in a well-diversified equity portfolio, the brighter your future is very likely to be. Guaranteed? Nothing's guaranteed in life. But those who've done it in the past have succeeded beyond their dreams, as long as they didn't try, try to time trade the market. Thanks for the call. Uh, once again, send them in. TalkingRealMoney.com. It's the source of all things good. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com. You'll find wonderful stuff. And let's get another question because, whew, boy, do we still have a lot stacked up. Here we go. 
Hey, Tom and Don. Hope you both are doing well. Wanted to call and ask you both about how RMDs might impact Social Security and Medicare benefits. I'm trying to plan for the future and was wondering if there is a rule of thumb for when someone might want to consider pre-tax over after-tax or vice versa. If I understand correctly, it sounds like RMDs can negatively affect Social Security and Medicare benefits but distributions from a Roth aren't in the formula for those benefits and did not affect them. Um, so I was wondering if you could give kind of like a broad overview of when someone might want to consider uh, choosing pre-tax over after-tax or when they might want to consider after-tax over pre-tax. Um, thanks a lot for the help. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's a great question, and this is this all goes back to the thing we, we talk about all the time, and that's guessing at the future. We're just guessing. But, yeah, RMDs from an IRA are taxable and therefore do affect the taxability of your Social Security benefits. So, yeah, having more RMDs can make your Social Security taxable. Roth distributions do not. So that's why we think it's kind of a balancing act. The rule of thumb is if you're in a substantially higher tax bracket than you expect to be in retirement, then it makes sense to do the pre-tax contributions to a regular IRA. If you expect, though, you're a great saver and you're going to have millions of dollars in retirement and lots of big RMDs, then you might want to do a Roth, which leads us back to that's why we say do a Roth and a regular. The other thing you might want to consider, though, is if you're concerned about it and you think you'll be in a lower bracket in retirement, is once you get to retirement, delay taking Social Security and use your other assets to help you pay taxes on IRA to Roth conversions and start to reduce the amount that will come out in the, in the form of an RMD. We just think it's a balancing act. You're, you're not right or wrong in either direction necessarily, unless you certainly know what your future situation will look like. And heck, none of us know that. So we kind of, um, we kind of just walk that center line. Uh, again, unless you're in a really high bracket and you expect, I don't have enough saved, I'm not going to be in a high bracket in retirement, then it should be uh, pre-tax and pay the taxes at the end. Thanks so much for your call. It was a good one. Uh, again, send your questions in, talkingrealmoney.com. Call them in anytime at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, or call us live on Saturdays between 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern time. Another question. Hey, Tom and Don, this is Jeff in South Carolina. Thank you so much for all you do to help all of us with our investments and planning. Your podcast is a great service to your listeners and your free hour with an advisor with no sales pitch is an even greater service to your listeners. Here's my question. My wife and I, ages 51 and 52, have a combined $1.4 million in investments. I believe we have a good asset allocation plan. It's modeled after Paul Merriman's ultimate buy and hold portfolio. We're at the point of our annual rebalancing, and we want to also bring some asset location strategies into our portfolio. Rather than keeping all the asset classes in each of our accounts, we want to take the next step and optimize the asset location in our portfolio. So the main asset classes in our ultimate buy and hold portfolio are U.S. large cap blend, U.S. large cap value, U.S. small cap blend, U.S. small cap value, 
international large cap blend, international large cap value, international small cap blend, international small cap value, emerging markets, uh, U.S. REITs, short-term bonds, intermediate-term bonds, and inflation-protected bonds. So can you do a quick summary of which of these asset classes should definitely be in each type of account? Roth, tax deferred, and brokerage. Which ones should definitely not be in each type of account? And which ones can be used to fill in any gaps uh, so that we can keep our overall asset allocation consistent with our goals? Thanks. With the advent of REITs, and because you're using index products or index type, which have very low turnover, this actually becomes a much easier proposition. It really does. There used to be a little bit more complexity to it. Because your equity your equity securities are more tax advantaged, particularly those that don't pay dividends, and that would be your small caps, for example, uh, your emerging markets, those kinds of things, those should be in taxable accounts if they don't distribute a lot of capital gains or dividends. Things that don't distribute much until you sell, which gives you tax deferral, and then you're being taxed at capital gains rates, those should be in your outside of retirement, uh, outside of qualified uh, tax-advantaged accounts. Then the things that, and this depends on how your assets shake out, how much you have where, then generally speaking, you want your more highly taxed securities, those that generate a lot of income, whether it's dividend or bond income. And because bond the bond income is going to be the lion's share of this, you're going to want those in your tax-deferred or tax-free accounts. So the formula becomes really quite simple. The more taxes something distributes, the more benefits you're going to get from having it in your IRA, your 401k, your Roth, those kinds of accounts. The less ongoing taxation the more benefit to having those in a taxable account and let whatever growth they accrue over the years, let that ride and ride and ride until you take it out when you need it and you only pay at the capital gains rate, which has historically been lower than the income rate. Thanks so much for your question. Now on to the next question. Hello, Tom and Don. This is Eric from Philadelphia, and I have a question about a Roth conversion. I have money in a traditional IRA account, and so I know that there has to be a pro rata transfer of money from that account when I do a backdoor um, Roth. If I do, but if I were to put 6500 into my traditional IRA and take the deduction for that, could I then just do a Roth conversion of 6500 from my traditional IRA over to my Roth IRA and then pay the taxes on that, essentially getting the money over to my Roth IRA with the same tax consequences I would with a standard um, Roth contribution. I look forward to your answers. Thanks. Bye. All right. I went back and listened to your question a couple of times to make sure I had this right. And what I think, I, I, just, I think you missed something. Um, if you do a backdoor IRA, you're doing it because you don't qualify for a deductible IRA, the regular IRA. And the uh, the the deduction for a married couple phases out 
at like $129,000 for a regular. Whereas a Roth, you can do a Roth up to, uh, let's see here, for 2023, uh, up to uh, 218 for a full contribution. So if, if, if you qualify for a regular IRA, why not just do the Roth IRA? Because you qualify for that for sure. Um, and if you make too much money to do either, that's when you do a backdoor and there's no trick to get around that. If you do put 6,500 in a non-deductible IRA, you have to take out a comparable amount, a prorated amount from your regular IRA and pay taxes on it. So, uh, I don't think there's a trick to get around this. Could be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. But thanks for the question. I appreciate it. And I'm going to go long today because there are so many questions stacked up and do one more before we call it a podcast. Good day, Tom and Don. My wife and I are having a debate about something that I hope you can shed some light and your expertise on. Annuities. Are they ever really good for overall financial health? We all know the answer is, or might probably be, it depends. My thinking is avoid them at all costs, unless someone else is paying for them 100%, like, for instance, if the annuity is stuck in a pension from an employer. I say the money should always go to investments, like a well-diversified portfolio, ETFs, indexes, or even high-yield savings accounts or CDs, and I believe that having more cash in investments, even if they are not tax-advantaged, is better than any tax benefit from the annuity, if it has any, of course. My wife is more of the mind that they can be beneficial in the right time and place. After all, there are a lot of people selling them and a lot of people buying them. Needless to say, we disagree. We have decided that you get to decide. Our marriage is strong, so don't worry about hurt feelings. Thanks a lot. Oh, fine. No pressure. Thanks for adding that last part, though. It helps. <laughs> I, I, I know what's going on here. Your wife is very likely someone who likes a degree of certainty in life. She does not enjoy the uncertainty of the stock market. And that is generally the big selling point, or at least was the big selling point of annuities in the past. Remember, annuities were originally created for just exactly what you said, a kind of a pension, a private pension, so that you could do like a company does, put a bunch of money into the annuity, and then the insurance company takes all that scary stuff off your shoulders and says, we're going to give you a check for the rest of your life. Now, of course, they've done the math, and they know that they will win because they know what the actuarial tables look like, and people in aggregate die at a very similar time. Most immediate annuities, you get your money back at about 20 years. So you only really start making money on your money if you live longer than 20 years after you start the annuity. And most people start those in their 60s. And so not a lot of people even get to the point where they've actually made money on the deal. But they don't tell you that. And just because somebody is selling something doesn't mean it's good. In every corner of America... There are hundreds, if not thousands of people selling things that are bad for us, really bad for us, like even drugs. You know, people are selling them just because somebody, a lot of people sell them doesn't make them good. If a lot of people are selling them, it's usually because 
it's lucrative for the person doing the selling, not for the customer necessarily. As a matter of fact, generally speaking, the products that are best for us tend to be those that make the least for people selling them because they sell themselves. And uh, in the case of investments, good investments should cost very little because they're not sold. There's no commission to pay. Another reason why annuities aren't great is because salespeople get big, fat commissions out of them. So um, I, 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 I feel bad, but I don't because I'm giving you the right answer, sir. You win. I think your answer is the closest to being correct, although there is no absolutely correct in this. <sighs> Once again, we love it when you call us. We particularly love it when you call us when we're live so we can actually have a conversation. And the way you do that is every Saturday, you just call us between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern Time at 855-935-8255. And those last four digits spell TALK, T-A-L-K, which is what we do. We talk. You can also go to TalkingRealMoney.com and ask questions and also find lots of other good stuff. Um, so... Do one of those things. Keep listening. Of course, thank you. Tell more people. If you love what you hear, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't, please don't leave a grumpy review. Thank you. You can if you want, but we like the nice ones. All right. Um, again, the number, 855-935-TALK. Call us on Saturdays, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. And um, I'm Don. We will be here a lot doing what we do and that is talking real money we hope you realize that the information provided on talking real money is for informational educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time so please consult with a really good fee only fiduciary investment tax or legal advisor we know a good one investing must always involve risk in other words you can and probably will lose money at times also as much as you want it no one can accurately and consistently predict the future so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring unlike many other programs that say something similar talking real money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial product or securities instead the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?